I am excited to be joined by today's guest. He's been on a couple times, and it is the offensive coordinator now at Kansas, Brent Dearman. Brent, great to have you here. Great to see you and be sitting down with you live to record this at National Conference. Absolutely good to be here and get to get to talk with you in person. You think about the, the three, four-year journey that, that we've been through over the last few yeah. years of doing podcasts and get to come to the National Conference here. It's been been amazing. Yeah, well, what's what's neat for me as I look back on it, like there's been this progression for Brent Dearman uh, as as we've had you join us on the podcast. You know, thinking back to the very first days, I remember, you know, I had just had Rick Jones on. Rick now is is at Missouri and took a position there. Was at Greenwood High School in Arkansas. It's actually still one of my favorite episodes I ever done is the first one with Rick and just an incredible coach and you know I remember last year 19 won the power of influence award from the AFCA and I'll tell you what there, there couldn't be a, a better award for that guy right but just an influential coach and that's kind of how I found him like three or four guys said you got to talk to Rick Jones and then Rick Jones says you got to talk to Brent Dearman I'm like, well, man, everybody steered me right with Rick, so this Brett Dearman's guy has got to be really good. So that's how we kind of hooked up the first time on the, on the podcast. And, you know, your your episodes, for one, have done incredible. I said for, I can't remember if it was, I think it was the second time you joined us, that episode is one of the most listened to where you were talking about RPO. And I, for our listeners, I'll link all of episodes with Brent there. But it's been fun to watch you. In, in your trajectory, in your career as a coach, and so excited for you last year when you made that move to Kansas as the analyst, and then I'm watching during the season, and holy cow, he is the offensive coordinator now at Kansas, and you know, see you out there, and little video clips of you waving the wheat and all that stuff, and just really excited for you to see how your career has taken off. You know, absolutely, it's been, been unreal. You know, you mentioned Rick to begin with. Rick is a very close friend of mine I'd say he's in my my five guys coaching circle that we all kind of lean on and Rick has been huge in my career helps me out big time with with program stuff with off the field stuff just an awesome human being and you look back at our journey and and I can really talk of how we've changed RPO wise in the last three or four mm-hmm. years and and then how every time we talk we kind of go through how we've done things a little bit different of how we yeah. make changes and how we've tweaked a few things and it all goes back to one of the guys that I talk about in my my talk today is the players I've had when you've got players that kind of help invest into your system and had a quarterback at at Arkansas Tech named Ty Reasoner that uh, was a genius that made everything right and he was a big part of what I've become too as a coach because he was so smart and he could fix things and man it's it's just been an unreal journey and and Lord's blessed me and brought me to where I'm at at Kansas now and Two years ago, I'm at Arkansas Tech, and a year ago, I'm at Bethel, and, and now I'm the OC at Kansas. It's, it's, it's an unreal feeling. I'm going to say, like, we just have to keep having you on because... Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, every time I, I talk to you, I'm, I'm in a better spot. So, um, I, you know, I love being in Kansas. I love Lawrence. It's a great college town, so I could see me and my family being there for a long time. Though. Yeah, well, I mean, it's an exciting time for you guys. You know, certainly was, like I said, neat to, to see you going and then, you know, and have a great debut as an offensive coordinator. And But, you know, you, you talk about that piece, like, you know, the evolution of these. I think that was the title. One, one of our episodes was the evolution of the RPO. And, 
you know, part Ended of that, up being the title of the book, by the way. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It, which I'll put that link in the in the show notes as well. Um, incredible book uh, that that coach put together on RPO. But the the game evolves, right? The guys on the other side, they're not dumb. I mean, they're figuring out here's how we're going to stop this or that. So it's 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 about just staying ahead, right? I mean, I I don't think in football anymore you necessarily go out year to year and say I'm going to do everything the exact same way again you learn things and it might be little things that you know to you know the casual viewer of football maybe not notice but you know some of those nuances of technique or adjustments to scheme or how you you might coach things up those certainly change and you know so surface level things might look the same but it's going to change and you you want that process where you can give feedback and I think you, you brought something important. It's always important to me was the players being a part of that process. You know, when when we revamped our, our offense uh, somewhere around 2010, those guys were with us along every step of the journey. So as we were doing some new things, you know, especially spring ball was just sitting down and having those honest conversations about, you know, how, how this technique worked for you or those guys not feeling – like they were going to get jumped on if they suggested, like, Coach, what if we did it this way? You know, this this happened to me in practice today. This is how I handle it. Yeah, you're right. That's the coaching point now. So that's the fun part about, you know, coaching ball, I think, is a lot of that stuff that just happens on the practice field in the meeting room. Absolutely. You, you've got to be able to evolve. And, and that was kind of the, the thought process with that book that we came out and uh, put together about, about three years ago. And to look back at the book and see how much we've changed since even the book. I had an old coach one day tell me that uh, there's two types of trees in the forest. Trees are either growing or they're dying. And I kind of view coaching the same way. You're either growing and and you're getting better and you're evolving, or you're going to start dying if you stay where where you're at. So we're always trying to find new tweaks to things, but still stay who we are. And I think that's a big key to uh, our success is we still stay who we are. We still stay to our who we say we want to be. We may just change how we open. We may change our mesh point. We may change uh, how we fit the blocking scheme of things or change the route. But always looking for ways to get better, always looking for ways to tweak things and, and letting the players be a part of that, especially in spring ball. You know, in, in fall camp, you're kind of set. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but spring ball is a great chance to go out there and play around a little bit, go out there and let the players have a little bit of input. And, and, and it makes them buy in a little bit more, too, to, to know that – that, that they have a little bit of say-so into installation of new things. Yeah. I, I can tell you, just thinking of spring ball, because it's that learning environment. I mean, there's the, the game at the end of the spring, but there's there's no test at the end of the week that puts the pressure on the learning process. And, you know, I, I can remember something we did with a pass concept at, at one of the colleges I was at. I mean, the, the kid completely screwed up his assignment, right? He did the wrong thing. And then we went back and we're watching film, and all of us noticed, like, whoa, did you see that? Did you see how that affected the linebacker? And then it became something we did. You know, they, it, but that's good, though. Like, those, those kids, when, you know, you certainly want to perform and write all the time and learning, but sometimes they show you some things that you weren't thinking about either. Yeah, you change the way you teach things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I talked about a thing today where my quarterback was pre-snap flashing yeah. uh, to his pre-snap side. Um, and, and I never taught that and got into the meeting room that day and said, hey, what are you, what are you thinking right here? It's a pre-snap side. You just got to catch the throw. And him coming back to me and giving feedback saying, coach, I knew that I could get that, that 
Sam Linebacker to fit his gap a little bit harder if I just gave a flash fake. And, and now I'm teaching it. So to, to have kids that, that, I mean, they're playing it. They're out there. They're doing it. And, and we're just holding a pencil and, and drawing it. So to, to listen to their feedback, to listen to the things that they see out there on the field, just makes us better, makes the scheme better, makes us better coaches sometimes. Yeah. You know, what, what I enjoy about any time you've joined us, Brent, and even, you know, you going out there and you know, putting your stuff out there for coaches is you kind of take the attitude of you're going to see it anyway. It's on film. There's nothing to hide from it. I mean, I, I really appreciate the fact that even as you've grown and the opportunities for you have, have put you in, um, you know, some high-profile jobs that you're still out here willing to give to these coaches. I didn't get to, you know, I popped in the beginning and waved to you, and then I came at the end, and you were just inundated with some, some great questions. I was just so impressed of, you know, the answers you were given. You were not giving clinic talk. Like, just sharing with these guys. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm all about guys that want to get better. And, you know, I said it in that meeting that day that I, as a young coach at 22, 23, I go to a clinic expecting to, to get a ton of knowledge, come in, I'm, I'm green, I've got my notebook ready to go. And the first two clinic sessions I sat in was full clinic talk and didn't really get anything out of it. And, and I, I made a kind of commitment to myself that if I ever, was ever in a role where I could share, that I was going to be the coach that shared as much as I can. That, you know, for me, everything's on tape now. Everything's out there for the world to see. So there's no reason for me to try to hide it. There's no reason for me to, um, you know, act like we used to act in, in the early 2000s or late 90s where I mean, you had to get a copy of the VHS tape from somebody. <laughs> um, but with every, everything being on the Internet, everything's visible to see, there's no reason for me to act that way. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna share my knowledge because someday uh, that guy's gonna share knowledge with somebody else too. So mm -hmm. um, I, I think we've got to lean on each other as coaches to constantly be making each other better. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I think you know that that attitude is what helps our profession and what helps grow this game. Like Nothing you know, I've it, it's do yeah, is it's I got to keep growing. So yeah. if I keep in three years, if I'm still teaching it, it the same back. way. Yeah. then I'm going to get beat. So right. it forces me, too, to keep trying to grow as well. So it's kind of a personal thing for me that if I for share sure. this, I better figure something else out for, the, <laughs> for three years from now. Yeah, well, the other thing is, is as you think through, like when you're, you're going to take it outside of what you do, you know you're going to get questions. And um, really, as you put together these presentations or you write an article or you write a book, it forces you to really think about what am I doing and why? And revisit some of that because you fall into that trap. You come in, you put an offense, it's three years later, and we're still doing the same thing. If you're not asking a lot of why, it'll end up biting you. Might not be right away, but eventually it's gonna, people are gonna catch up to what you're You're right, and, and a lot of that why goes to kind of scheming every week. Right. Um, you know, some of the RPOs I talked about today, I'm not gonna run every week. Some of them are coverage specific RPOs or front specific RPOs. So. You know, there's some things I keep in that back pocket and don't share with everybody, but you're going to scheme up certain looks. You're going to scheme up certain routes that are based off of that week. So, you know, teaching what I taught today is what I told them guys is, I'm going to teach you how to fish. Instead of giving you the fish, I'm going to teach you how we develop fishing for us, how we develop RPOs that fit us. But then every week you got to kind of go in and scheme up that team you're playing. Right. We, we can't see diagrams or video here but you know let's let's get into some of that sharing of, of what you did here and what you talked about your topic was c and d gap rpo and 
you know, that part of it I think most helpful is what you just said. We're going to teach you how to fish. So teach us how to fish. You know, one of the things that we have really want to is anytime I'm reading a C gap player, which is most time a defensive end or an overhang outside linebacker. Anytime I'm reading a C gap player, I never stay in the pocket to throw RPOs anymore because that's when you get your quarterback hurt. That's mm-hmm. when if he's reading a third level player and you're not blocking the C gap, that's when that defensive end can can mess charge and, and blow your quarterback up. Right. So if he's reading a C gap, it's triple option. It's the old veer. It's it's uh, running out with instead of a pitch, he's got a bubble or he's got a go ball or he's got a flat route. We give him some type of a third option to it, so it's the triple option. Uh, and then in the D gap reads, we're we're going to tell him, hey, we're going to handle from C gap to C gap blocking, and you handle the D gap space, no matter if it's the Sam linebacker or could be the free safety in this new robber coverage that that uh, TCU Gary Patterson's kind of come up with now. He's going to read the field safety, or in the boundary, I'm going to read the corner or the boundary safety. So. Um, we're going to read the D-gap player. And on the D-gap player reads, we're going to stay on the spot. Because he's not forced off the spot with a C-gap in rushing him, he can now stay on his spot to make those throws. So teaching quarterbacks gaps, teaching quarterbacks the why of, here's why we're going to run out of it. Here's why you can stay in the pocket. And then the last thing we kind of went into today is the uh, gap scheme RPOs, which a lot of people are scared of. Right. Uh, they're scared of pulling guards and running RPOs because of, weakness of the protection but we teach our quarterback the weakness in the protection we teach our quarterback we're taking a backside gap and adding it to the front side which is great for the front side run but it sucks for the backside of the pass pro so if they bring any pressure off the backside edge here's what you've got to do you've got to fix it by either handing it getting in the way of it or by making this hot throw making this uh, slant throw off the backside edge or the way I've, I've told guys now is I teach RPO protections the same way I teach empty pass pro. The quarterback better understand where he's going to get hit from. Uh-huh. So that's really benefited us, and I think a lot of those guys today learned something out of that. Yeah, well, a lot to chew on there. So let's, let's take a, a step back, and I guess so we can get an example of it, the, the C-gap in moving them out of the pocket. Just talk us through a, a basic C-gap RPO. You know, one of the, the ones that's probably most known is, is one I got when I was at Auburn. In 2013, we're playing Alabama. And late in the game, uh, we run a zone read where we push the inside zone to the field with our O-lineman. And uh, into the boundary, our fullback arc releases or veer releases, and his job's to block scraper to safety. Where, where's he lined up? He, he could be lined up to the field or the boundary. Okay. To the, him, it's the same play. I just change his alignment in the formation. Gotcha. His assignment doesn't change, though, right. for that play. So he could start in the boundary or he could start to the field and come to the boundary and look like split zone. So he's going to arc release the end, and his eyes go in the box to the scraping Will Linebacker. Will Linebacker doesn't come out of the box, then he can work up to the safety. The quarterback's going to ride read the C-gap player, who most of the time is going to be the end. It could be that overhang bandit or jack that some people are calling that guy. If he squeezes the run, quarterback pulls and attacks the corner into the boundary. Mm-hmm. And if the corner falls off that X receiver, we're going to make a go ball throw, which we did in 2013 yeah, I to, that to beat Alabama that yeah. year. Or if he gets a cover two, the safety gets over the top of that go route, that X receiver is going to sit it on the sideline at 10 yards. That way we're always right. 
And the, but either way, the quarterback's throwing off of the corner is his third read in that triple option. So that is that is our base install uh, C-gap read. Yeah, so um, a, a couple things. The, the path coming out of that, you said he's going to the corner. Um, how do you coach that up? Because if you, really, if you, you're thinking you get off that path maybe a step, step and a half, you, you're, you're probably in a little bit of trouble. So how are you coaching him up as far as the, the, the aim point he's going to on his path? His initial aiming point is going to go through the hip of the tailback. So the initial side of things, it's, it's running the veer. It's running uh, zone read. So he's coming right through the hip of that, that uh, tailback, and then he, wherever the corner may be, is his then trajectory. So if you get a trap corner, that ball first off should be coming out right now off of the pull, but he's going to run right at that corner. If the corner's bailing, then he turns into a run because the corner's bailing. So his path will initially be off the back uh, through his hip, but then it changes to where the corner is playing us, um, how he attacks it. So um, a couple things there. Let's go over the legal issues of this play. <laughs> so the guys down the field, and I, I heard you give this answer to, uh, to a coach who asked you that question, but the guys down the field, right, making sure that you are not beyond that, that three-yard limit. Yes. How is that coached up? We spend a lot of time and effort teaching stay on double teams. So instead of teaching your line to be soft or, or not working upfield as much, we teach it another way by saying stay on the double team until the backer shows to you. So we do not come off the double to go vertical. We stay on the double and uproot it until the vertical comes to us is, is how we've coached up the front. That way it fixes the RPO sake. I know that there's some people that, that put a tag on things that let the O-lineman know don't go downfield or something like that. But we don't want to teach them to be soft. No. We don't want to teach them to, to slow down. So a phrase that I've heard that I actually got from J.B. Grimes at Auburn is he used to tell guys, we want to uproot a fire hydrant. <laughs> so we're going to stay on that three. We're going to stay on that four eye. We're going to stay on that double until that backer comes down to us. Well, that backer's not going to come down to us deeper than three yards. If he stays at depth, there's no reason for us to come off that double team. And in college football, how often you see a double team get past three yards? Right. You're rarely uprooting a, right. a 300-pounder past three yards. So it, it ends up fixing itself out. And I think in, in my last four years, I've had a lineman downfield call three times on us. So yeah. when you look at the efficiency of it, it's not worth us changing the way we're doing it right. with only getting those three calls. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that the danger of any time you put a, a tag onto, I think RPO or even play action, you get a def, different mentality and demeanor out of that offensive lineman rather than just having them block. It's the difference between you know, a lower hat or lower pad level or, or aggressive step off the line and you know, we, we did it the same way, and I tell them, like, same thing. Just stay on that longer, let him come to you. And if, if you kick his butt downfield, then it's on me. I'll take it. Like, yes. that's a good penalty to have. I'll just go back to running the football. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and we did have it called on us because we, that was essentially it. It wasn't the, the uncovered guy going and standing three yards downfield doing nothing but getting us a penalty. It was a physical double team driving a guy down the field, mm -hmm. which now 
I mean, whether it's RPO or play action, you want that because it's going to make those guys fit their run game. Yes, and yeah. you just take that on you as a coach, and you say, hey, guys, that, that, that penalty's on me. Exactly. You don't change. You keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. I, I heard, you know, a, a podcast, Urban Meyer was talking about that exact thing. Like, he, he said, I can't coach my guys to play aggressive and then get mad at them when there's a penalty because they were playing aggressive. And as a coach, you just say, that's mine. Yes. We'll take it. So the, the next part of it, as, as I'm looking at it, is your fullback. And if that ball comes out and he's blocking. So how, how do you avoid a call there? be honest with you, because of, of the play, let's, let's go through all the scenarios yeah. that this could happen. His first job is to block the scraping linebacker. Well, if they do any form of a squeeze scrape, good linebackers are going to attack downhill more. So that wheel backer will scrape hard and will be less than the three-yard window. Right. So the scrape backer fixes itself. If he happens to move on to the safety, the scrape backer stays in the box where he's going to get the safety. Any look where the safety triggers downhill, the corner better not fall off either. So that ball's probably not being thrown. So we're blocking the safety and the corner staying high. Yep. If they give us any type of two-read look where the safety stays high and the corner does trigger, the fullback never blocks the safety because he stayed high the whole time. So in in defensive football, if the defense does the way they're supposed to do it, uh, the fullback's going to always be right and not be downfield blocking. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I've never had – we've all, all of our three calls – be honest with you, they've all been on the QB, to be to be strictly honest with you, because the QB made, the wrong made a wrong decision. Yeah. QB forced something late that he shouldn't have done. But we've never had it because the fullback was the one doing the downfield mm-hmm. blocking. So then the other question I had was about your X on that go route or if they're showing two where where he's he's uh, sitting down on that. Uh, how are you coaching that up? What's he looking at to make that decision? He's got a mandatory outside release, which everybody in our, our profession you know, calls that a more. Yep. Right? He's going to get outside release in the corner, and his eyes are on the safety. He's running a go unless the safety takes it away. The corner means nothing to him because the corner's on the QB. That's his triple option read. Right. So uh, as soon as that X gets his release, his eyes go to the inside safety. The inside safety stays on the hash or comes down. He keeps running. If the, the safety hard tries to get over top of him, it's the only time he'll expand that thing and sit on the sideline at two. So, Coach, then the the D-gap RPL, you, know, you gave us an overview of that, an example of the D-gap. One of our top ones, our, our famous one, is we're going to run split zone. We run double slants to the field. We run a glance or a bang eight post in the boundary. Yep. Once again, teaching the quarterback, because we're in a split zone play up front, we're going to push the zone to the field, and the O-line's going to handle from C-gap to backside B. The fullback coming backside on that split zone is going to handle whoever fits the backside C, which most cases it's the end or the bandit. So we teach our quarterback his job's the field D pre-snap and the boundary D-gap player post-snap. The only look that could change this that, that we've taught our quarterback is if we get a blitzer off the front side edge where the Sam linebacker's standing on the, the front side deacon, our O-line will then make a push, a fan, a plus, whatever call they make, they handle it. So he just fixes the apex or the distance D-gap. 
As soon as it becomes an immediate threat, the O-line fixes it. And that's when we throw the double slants. The inside slant is thrown for pressure. The outside slant is thrown for if it's open. So if I get an apex, the old apex cover four, we're throwing the outside slant. If I don't love either of those slants, I just go to my boundary D-gap ride read. And there's one or two guys that are going to put in the boundary D-gap. It's going to be the corner or the boundary safety. If they put one of those two guys in that boundary fit, we're going to throw that glance or seven-step slant is essentially what it is, throw. If they late fit it, then we hand it off, and the quarterback has handled both overhangs, and we've got numbers in the box. Instead of, you know, I know a lot of the old school 10 personnel RPO was based off of numbers. Right, right. Because we can get in any formation, I don't ask him to do numbers because the numbers are going to change based off the personnel or the the formation. Mm -hmm. So we give him a space. We give him a gap. That way I can call it out of 10 personnel spread RPOs. I can call 21 personnel RPOs. And his rule's not going to change. Right. Takes it, it, it makes it simple for him. It kind of takes that burden of counting the box. Absolutely. And sometimes I don't have a cue that can count to seven. So uh, <laughs> that helps out. Then, you know, the other one you mentioned is is the gap scheme RPO. And, you know, I think whether you are running RPO or you are running play action and you pull a guard, you pull somebody, the, they're triggering decisions There's a problem. much quicker. Yeah. So – Here's, here's how we teach that problem, is the, the old school math teacher in me tries to figure out ways to teach, tries to figure out ways to form, create formulas. And here's, here's how I teach the quarterbacks there. We're taking a backside gap and adding it to the front side. So we are doing a subtraction and an addition. And by teaching it that way, it's easy for them to see there's a backside problem because we are losing a guy over here. So anytime we lose a guy on a pulling play means that there is a what we call a hot gap. Means if right. they bring a backside pressure it will hit me on any late pull RPO. So as soon as I see backside pressure I either throw whatever hot throw I gave him in the route or I hand the ball off. I'm not going to pull a late RPO throw because I know I'm going to get hit. And I teach it almost the same way you teach empty pass pro. Mm-hmm. A quarterback learns empty pass pro pretty quick because yeah. <laughs> he knows where he's hot. And we teach that exact philosophy of this is where you're hot. If you get pressure, hand it off. And, and we've where we've developed some guys, and, and, and I know it's next level thinking, is he's essentially still responsible for that blitz guy. So I've had a kid over the last couple of years that would ride it and wall the guy off because that's his guy. We can't block him. So when he starts understanding who his responsibility is, and you've got a cue that can hand power off and get in the way of the blitzer because he understands the gap he's responsible for is when you're going to enjoy coaching that kid a little bit more. Yeah, I love the way you're thinking about that and the adding the gap over here, subtracting here. Like When you said that, it makes complete sense in – to me, again, it goes back. That's a pretty simple thing to do. That's not difficult. As we sat here and you've talked about all of these different RPOs, you're, you're going to study it. You're going to know what they're doing. But you're not worried about, i got to teach them this coverage, that coverage, this nuance, and this coverage. They're going to do this or that. Like Things are going to happen. They have to happen a certain way. And when they do, here's your scenarios. And it limits what you really have to prepare for. 
I mean, we still do our eight to ten progression read drop back passing game. Right. But that's not who we are on first and second down. Mm-hmm. That's our third and seven answer. We're still going to teach our shots on first down. We truly want to throw a deep ball, double post, all that. But when I'm teaching RPO quick game, I don't teach coverage anymore. I don't teach one high, two high. I teach space. You fix space. And the space changes based off the run scheme. So they have to understand the run scheme. I used to overcomplicate teaching the run scheme and, uh, and almost attack it like an O-line coach has to teach inside gap, head up, climb the back. I don't need to teach quarterbacks that. I need to teach them in a simplified way. And the simplest way, like you just heard on, on gap scheme, I'm losing a gap over here. And when I'm losing a gap over here, that's a big problem. So uh, trying to find ways and, and that math degree of, of create, creating formulas, creating easy ways for them to understand this space is what you're responsible for now. Fix the space. If there's nothing in that space, you hand the ball off. If there's something in that space, I will give you some type of option with some route that fixes that space. So, Coach, as you were wrapping up, I was able to step in the room, and I did hear some of those questions. We talked about a few of those things here. But what were some of the things that came up, some some questions where you're like, well, that, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I had an O-line guy in the room asking about when to push and when not to You're seeing these four eyes now, and the four eyes are forcing – people to push more out of the box well the rpo doesn't match up anymore as soon as you start pushing out as soon as o-line are starting to block the d-gap player it messes with the way you've taught your quarterback right so we've had to change our rules of when to push so unless we get an immediate threat where that guy's standing on the line we don't push anymore and we put it on our quarterback uh, so that was a, that was one good question Another guy kind of asked about the pre and post snap side, and I simplified it to whatever side I turn you to is your post snap because I don't like reading my back. I know there's some teams in the country that turn their back and try to read opposite of them. And I don't think that that, that, that is a good spot I want to put my kid in. Right. Um, so we can rule that up. Your back is your pre-snap. Your where I turn you to is your post snap. And then, as uh, we talked about a lot in that session today, guys ask about back alignment. We do so much out of the pistol now. Mm-hmm. That way I could prevent the defense from knowing where the pre- and post-snap ride is going to be. So I'd say 60%, 70% of our run game is based out of the pistol. Now, we still do power read. We still do the bug sweep. We still do a lot of our run game that we're offset, and we RPO differently off right. of those things. But we still try to keep our rules. So. I put things in rules for our QBs, and I try not to get out of that rule box that I give them. With the power read, I remember you did answer a question about that. You know, power read, and we would we would leave the pistol too for power read, and I I, I liked it, just to who we were. I mean, you could go a lot of jet motion and stuff like that. My thought was on jet motion. I I, I power read. I really got to spend time on that, making sure that mesh point is very precise in the timing that'll mess you up quick so we ended up going more to we want that back running it and even when we would bring our receiver was really good into the backfield we, we'd have him almost get to a stop and get to where he'd be as a back and then and then run it just to because I didn't have the time I guess to time on task for let's go and really get this good at the mesh point and then is one of those things too your centers affect everything so if I had to go to my second center now we're really screwed up. So, power read, and I, I think I talked with 
Coach Shauner at, at Minnesota State about Power Reed and, and this exact point with the Jet. But for you, is there anything you like with the, the play action? I know I've seen guys who have tried to RPO the Power Reed. I think it's, I think it's difficult because the, the quarterback now um, has to get his eyes in a lot of different places that don't the vision line maybe not is there so just your thoughts on complementing that power read you know for us in the in the RPO world I'm always a fixer right my wife gets mad at me at the house because she wants to vent and I'm a fixer so I, I try to create answers even though I don't always listen to what she's really saying I'm just trying to create an answer so power read for us is we're going to offset our back we, we went away from from pistol we offset our back and go straight to it. But what hurts power read is frontside pressure. Yeah. Two off the edge. Yep. Uh, with them having somebody for the pull and having somebody for the back. So the uh, for me, we put in RPO off of power read not to throw it, but as an answer to the problem. Well, the problem for power read is, is frontside pressure. Yep. So now we throw backside slams is our answer to power read. Anything else off the front side? should be in a good situation. No, say I'm running to the field and that nickel Sam comes, I throw the backside slant. If he doesn't like the slant window pre-snap, he can give another option. And I, I kind of give him a toolbox now of here are your answers. So for some reason he had an apex out there. Yes. Yeah. We can run a hitch. Uh-huh. We can run a, uh, a speed out. Right. One way or the other, you know frontside pressure hurts power read, so you better fix it. And, so, and for you, it's the immediate pressure. Someone walked up, uh, or distance. If I'm in the, if as soon as I catch the snap, then I see it. Get your butt depth and get away from it and throw that backside answer. So kind of like before, though, you're not going to sit where you're at right now. You need to do something with your feet. I need to, to get the heck out of there. Yeah. Okay. Get some depth. Right. Right. It's almost like you teach your nakeds. Say you're mm-hmm. naked into a pressure. You tell them to abort the fake, get depth, and and get it to your hot, hot flat route or hot whatever kind of teach those hot throws the same way get your butt out of there so you get protected a little bit more and get some depth yeah with what's going on with the scheme now is your, your guard turning into a trapper is he's going to pull and look to, to fit through that gap as normal and how, how do you handle that part i think it just works out yeah it's kind of what i fell into is he's pulling for the first linebacker in the box he's pulling for his inside pad for that for the out kick and if he pulls and something runs into him he's not going to pass it up you know, you teach not pass up color. So if something comes so tight off that tackle's rear end, he ends up hitting it. We don't teach it that way. Uh-huh. He just ends up being a train wreck right there. So yeah. he takes the first hit off of him. So the only guy that's really hot is that, that outside pressure. Got it, got it. And, um, and the, the running back in this, if if he's not getting the ball, the quarterback pulls it, he sees the pressure coming, does he coach We haven't anything? taught it. Yeah. We haven't taught him that way. I've, I've had a kid at, at a previous school that was figured it out, and as soon as that pull happened and the same linebacker was standing there, he just made collision with it and hit it. Um, I think it you could teach it that way, but we haven't done it. We haven't overcomplicated for that kid because I know there's a lot of guys that's probably going to listen to this podcast, and that kid that's playing that position for you is probably not your 4.0 <laughs> scholar athlete. So we try not to overcomplicate that position. Yeah. Well – Brent, some incredible stuff here, and it was great to have you out here at our national conference. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share with coaches both on this podcast as as well as in your clinic talk. I'm I'm fired up. I'm about to go listen to some guys talk this afternoon. Awesome.